The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is like Christmas to you? Decorating house, giving and receiving gifts, and of course, cooking and baking. I don't know how many cookies you bake, but it's, I know it's a lot. <laughs> We're busy. We're busy with the Christmas. And also we want to having a great time. But is that all? Is that all? Is that all there is to Christmas? I honestly don't like the feeling the day after Christmas. You anticipate it, expect a lot of things, great time towards Christmas. And at the end, hmm, that was it. Isn't there something more about Christmas? I think the name Christmas has a lot to do with it. As you know, it is Christ's Mass, Christ's worship. Because if we worship Jesus Christ, who became gifts to us, for us. So Christmas for us is becoming gifts to God and others. What kind of gift? Gift of peace, hope, love, and joy. We become the gift. Then how is there any Methodist way to celebrate Christmas. So throughout this Advent, I would like to share with you a message on this book called Almost Christmas. There's no such a almost Christmas. So let's find out what is like Wesleyan Advent experience. Why Christmas? Why, why Christmas? We don't know even for sure December 25th is a Christmas day. It's around that time we know that. But we celebrate Christmas this month, December, because we need peace. We need peace. So Jesus, Jesus Christ traveled the finite distance to become the gift, peace, to us. Because we lived without peace. We thought we had peace. 
We can achieve peace of our own, but we did not. Because we were angry at God and people. Why? Because we were in fear of being mortal. Being mortal. With the eternal deficiency, the sin, the brokenness, our infirmities, our limitness, limitations. So we were and we are for some people in a war for the endless competition because we are living with the limited resources. Time, limited time, limited money, Everything is limited, so we have to fight for it. So for our peace, others must be defeated and even die. But for Christ's peace, I must be defeated and I must die. But Christ claims it. This peace as the victory. I was defeated. I died. But it is the victory. And it is the only antidote for our anger. What is this? What kind of peace is this? How can we receive the peace of Christ that transforms our anger into life-giving for ourselves and others. We need three steps. First, awareness. We must know where anger from? Where our anger from? Fear is the source of our anger. Simply being helpless and powerless. When you are angry, next time, when you are angry, you should ask yourself, what is it that I am afraid of in this situation? What am I afraid of? And why do I feel so powerless? Second, acceptance. If you find out what it is, then you have to accept it. Your fear your powerlessness, your anger, you have to accept it. But many people, 
Many people try to hide, keep their anger deep inside of themselves, and pretend it's not there. But the piles of anger with many other emotions will rise all together whenever we face similar situation. And we will be overwhelmed when it happens. We cannot control that anger. So repressing and denying anger is not the answer. Then what should we do? If we accept the anger, then we must act. We must be proactive with our anger. We can just live it there. Apostle Paul said, be angry. Again, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is like other emotions, like joy or gratefulness. Anger is God-given emotion to protect ourselves. But we don't have to sin because of that anger. So Jesus said this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Because God reconciled with us first. So after that reconciliation, we cannot give God, worship God, honor God with those unresolved relationships with other people. So if you need to forgive, then forgive. If you need to be forgiven, then ask for forgiveness. The best way is you encounter that person. But if you cannot, then you just do it in your heart. doesn't matter that person forgive you or you can forgive him. Just let go of that anger by relying on God's grace and love. That's it. Because again, Jesus took our condemnation, our sin and condemnation, And there's no more sin we have to deal with. There's no more sin we can condemn or we can judge. That's why I'm saying we have to rely on the grace and love of God. And we acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross. Because we still see the brokenness. We still see the evil out there. 
but Jesus died for that evil today. But leaving anger unresolved leaves room for the devil to act on us. So we have to let go of our anger. Apostle Paul exhorts church to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we can unite together. We can be a one together in the spirit only in the bond of peace. This peace Jesus gave us. He said, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. The oneness. It's all about Christianity. Become one together. One with God and one with each other. And how can we, we are all individual, how can we achieve this unity, the oneness in the spirit? We must speak truth. Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor. Do you tell the truth to your neighbor? Do you speak the truth all the time? I mean, we must speak truth the image of God. Because what Jesus did on the cross was restoration of our image of God. So we are all restored in the image of God. Even those non-believers, even those people still struggling with their infirmities, sickness, poverty, whatever, their image of God was restored. So when we encounter other people, they must realize who they are by how we reflect them. That's how we speak the truth to the people. If, we don't, if they don't get that, then we speak the force, force. We lie to them. That's how they see themselves through reflection on us. Don't steal. Verse 28 says, Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work using their hands to do good. It's not only steal somebody's money or property. It is the stealing the dignity of other people. Just like I said, if people don't see their true image of God, the wholeness of themselves through us, then we're stealing their image of God. They're stealing, we're stealing the dignity God restored for them. 
So no one should be treated as a means. But they should be, everyone should be treated as meaning. The reason that Sunday, you know, many business closed here. We used to do that. Our whole country used to do that. Why? Why no business on Sunday? Because it is Sabbath. If somebody working on Sunday, then we are stealing their peace, their rest. That's why. Because that person needs to work on Sunday. That's why we close. So everyone gets rest. So Bishop Palmer said, if my sense of self-worth comes at the expense of your self-worth, I'm doing it wrong. Right? I get my self-worth because taking someone else's costs someone else's self-worth, then it is wrong. So don't steal. And practice empathy. Verse, verse 28, Paul said, Do good so that you will have something to share with whoever is in need. It's just fundamental. Empathy. Feeling others' pain. I tell you many times, we are existing for others. And we are the gift for others. I told you the community come together, munus gift. We are give to each other that community. So we are the gift for others. And we know my life becomes meaningful when I am needed. Right? When you are needed. When you feel, oh, well, I'm not needed. I'm worthless. How can you find the meaning in you? And there's no excuse though. How old you are, how limited you are, physically, financially, how limited you are. You can be needed for someone. Right? So, let's practice empathy. And watch your language. Verse 29 said, Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Words are powerful. Not only God's words are powerful, but our words are powerful because we are, our word is the breath of God. It is powerful. So when we say something, it can destroy somebody. And the word forever, it doesn't go away. 
right? Every object will go away, disappear. But the words, your words, my words will not go away. It will be there. As for somebody's heart, when you hurt somebody with your words. So we have to be really careful with what we're saying. So we're always trying to, thinking about saying, is my word build up this person? Strengthen this person? Encourage this person? Or not? And they know, even though we need to criticize somebody, we need to rebuke somebody, they know our spirit, our intention. So we must speak truth and we must speak the language that build each other up, not tear down. And guard your heart. Verse 31 says, Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. We have to acknowledge we are still living in the outer person, the broken. So we must remove, try to get rid of anything not out of love. So we must practice the character, at least the characters of the Holy Spirit, Paul said. Peace, joy, kindness, gentleness. Otherwise, we just shut our mouth. And most of all, all together, it's for to be kind, compassionate, and forgive. Compassion. We suffer together. What is this, you know, suffering together? We put in ourselves the same faith. I join the faith. Jesus joined our eternal faith. That, 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 you know, miserable faith. But that's what Jesus did. So we must join the faith of other people in their misery, in their brokenness, in their despair. We must join their faith. And we just struggle with them together? No. And we give them peace. We give them hope by joining them. That's why Paul said, be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgive you in Christ. And we don't do this for others. When we say, be kind and compassionate, oh, it's for others. Oh, I'll be burned out. Because always I serve Always I give, always I sacrifice, it just, it will burn me out. No. No. It is for us. It is for ourselves. Unless we put ourselves in the same position of Christ, we will never know the love of God. That's why Jesus said, forgive your enemy instead of your, your loved one. 
when we try to forgive our enemy, we will know the glimpse of the how God felt when he tried to love you and me. So that's why we love others. Not for that person, but for myself. So I know the love, and that we become one, and eventually that person will know the love of God in oneness. So, the author of this book says, every time you forgive or ask for forgiveness, you participate in God's comprehensive restoration of the whole broken world. We are practicing the restorative justice. Like Jesus encountered women caught in adultery. I do not judge you, but sin no more. That's the attitude with the restorative justice. We are here to change the world one person at a time. In his sermon, Blessed are the Peacemaker, John Wesley suggests, do good. Do good to everyone, every time. Worthy or not, deserve or not, we must do good with especially those who disagree with you, your enemies and strangers. Like Christ crossed the eternal chasm between God and us, we must cross the barrier, the chasm be between people. We know who are divided with us, who are in going another direction, different direction, politically, theologically, in many ways. But we have to cross it because God never give up on them. So we shouldn't give up on them. That's peacemaker, John Wesley. Wesley and way of peacemaker. Not just judging them, point our finger at them. That's why Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give it to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How can we not be afraid? Because Jesus took the wrath of God, the source of our worry, so we don't have to worry. We just take the fate, whatever that is. And Jesus said this right before he was arrested and crucified. And later in the chapter, he said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. It doesn't make sense. You will be arrested and crucified and that's it. And you will be in peace and I have overcome the world. No, the Roman Empire, you know, crucified you. 
Because for Jesus, salvation is always here and now. Because he living in God's time, past, present, future. So his future is already there. That's what our, our pro- progress too. Being Christian is living in God's time. Not stuck in this present time. And regret for the past. And worry about future. But we are living in the f- God's time together. By faith. By transcending ourselves from our being mortal. Otherwise, our salvation is not true. Salvation is to become one with Christ, who was and is and is to come. Amen? Amen. Friends, peace must be altogether peace. All together peace. Like shalom. Literally shalom is everyone is full. No one is hungry. That's shalom. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we are the transcendent we transcend. We transcended our race, our pedigree, our past, our failures, our pride, our victory, whatsoever. We are transcended. We transcended, so we can become all together peace, because I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in Christ. So we are all together peace. Does that mean? That if anyone, anyone in this congregation is not in peace, I'm not in peace, we are not in peace. But we are in Christ. In that compassion, in that unity of ourselves, ultimately we are in peace. But we cannot complacent. We cannot just, oh well, as long as I'm okay, as long as my, my life is okay, my family is okay, my country is okay, I'm, I'm okay. No. We know people are not okay out there. People not okay in Israel, in Gaza. We, don't, we know Ukraine. We know people are not okay. But when we feel the pain of them, and then we act upon and we embrace them as one. They will know they are in peace. Peace is letting others breathe. Letting other people live. If they're hungry, starve to death, then there's no peace. So I will try to try this question to you. 
take this question and contemplate throughout this week. What kind of peace do I long for? How might we begin to seek shalom with ourselves and with others?